I'm Leanne Tran, psychologist who's worked with families whose kids don't fit the mould for almost 20 years. I've worked with children for decades, but I know parents are the real change makers when it comes to their kids. Having three kids of my own means I know it's not easy. Parent Like a Psychologist is all about simplifying how you support your kids with psychology information filtered through years of experience to take you from overwhelmed to confident. Come on in. Hello, I'm so excited to have you join me again on my podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about managing behavior again, and this is part two of the um, five-part series on managing behavior. And today I'm going to be focusing on what to do when your child is having a meltdown or a tantrum. Um, There are often questions I get about this topic and they kind of center around two main questions. The first question is what can we do to stop it from escalating and getting out of hand? And the second question is, how do I teach my kids to manage their emotions? The trick is that you can't really teach kids to handle their emotions when they are having them. So those skills have to come at another time, but I'll get into that in a second and we'll elaborate in future episodes as well. I'm going to cover five main areas again today about how to uh, help your kids when they are having meltdowns. The first one is how you as a parent need to respond. The second is how to validate your child's feelings. And then thirdly, looking at offering them a break. And fourthly, some choices. And number five is about when to problem solve and teach emotional regulation skills. Again, at the end, I'm going to talk about uh, how we can adapt these things for little ADHDers or autistic children. So firstly, it's how you respond as a parent. Meltdowns are super stressful, especially when they're in public and people are looking at you and it's um, really difficult to know what to do in the moment. So I'm glad you're listening in because a planned response is a lot better than trying to make the decision in the moment. The first thing is about how you respond as a parent. And it is, my advice is to try as much as you can to remain calm yourself. It's really hard, I know that, because the behaviors themselves are really annoying and irritating and it's stressful. But the second thing too, is that we worry about what other people are thinking about us as parents. We also worry about what we're doing in terms of teaching our kids how to respond. And so all of that thinking in the moment is really challenging, but it's really important to stay calm. This is the reason why. So when kids are small, they can't regulate their emotions on their own. So if you think about a little baby, uh, they cry when they need something, when they're upset, they can't manage it on their own. They need their adult to do it for them or with them so that they can survive. For emotions, it's the same when kids are young that they can't do it just yet. And so they need you to help them in the moment to regulate their emotions with them 
and eventually they will be able to do it more independently themselves. And how that fits into being calm is that you can only regulate your child down to the level at which you are operating. So if you are not calm and you are stressed yourself, you won't be able to calm your child down. Um, they will not get calmer than you in that situation. So sometimes it's about letting them be on the floor, um, having that meltdown and taking some deep breaths for yourself, thinking about how you'll focus on all of the thought, thoughts and problem solving later. But at the moment, your job is to just calm yourself down as the number one step. The second thing is then validating your child's feelings and how they're feeling. So we call this active listening in um, psychology world. And it's a skill that really just means acknowledging what your child is feeling and reflecting it back to them. So you might just be looking at your child and thinking maybe their meltdown is about them being quite sad. And so you might be saying, I can see you're really sad. And that's enough to recognize the feeling and reflect it back to them. And through that, you're validating the feeling that they're having. Um, you're letting them know that it's okay. It might be that they're quite angry or frustrated. And so you would say, this is really hard. I can see how angry you are. Just letting them know you see the feeling, um, recognize it, respond to it so that they are validated. Uh, I often draw the comparison in, in these situations to what we're like as humans and think about how you respond in these situations with somebody like a partner. And so if you're really upset and your partner's just saying, it's okay because whatever, whatever, you don't feel any better. But if they can say, if they say, I, I can see you're really stressed out, then you automatically feel better because you're not alone in it. Someone sees how you feel and they're there with you. So naming emotions for your child is going to do the same thing. The third um, thing I want to talk about is different to some advice I hear. And um, I was reading a little bit about this and some people were talking about then offering choices to your child um, so that, you know, you give them a bit of control about what's happening. And I would argue that that's not the right step just yet. I think first it's really important to take a break. And so that's giving them time to calm down and regulate their feelings a little bit. So if kids are really, really heightened, they don't have the same level of problem solving ability as when they're calm. So we can't jump in then and try and offer solutions or choices and suggestions because their capacity is um, is just not there right now. They're really upset. I think about it when you really angry yourself and someone cares, some comes and says, okay, we're gonna calm down now. You kind of wanna lose it even more. So I'd say to take a break. You've, you've calmed yourself down. You've validated your child's feelings. And then you can just say, it's okay, let's take a minute. And when we're calm, we can solve this. It takes more than a minute most of the time, but um, that's okay. All sense of time is lost in these situations. It's just about letting them know 
that's okay, I can wait and I can help you, can be patient and um, we'll be okay in this together. Then is when you might want to offer choices. Um, so that's when your child's calmed down a little bit. So you might want to suggest things like, um, do you want to, was it this thing you wanted or that thing that you wanted? And by giving choices, we know um, that it reduces the amount of thinking that kids have to do in these problem solving moments. So if you ask, what do you want? They have to generate the idea and explain it to you. And that's really tricky. So if you can simplify it down for them and offer some choices about what to do, it's going to be much easier for them to actually complete that. Um, you can also um, check in to see if you're correct or not. So it might be, say, for example, the kids had this meltdown when you're leaving the park. You might want to say something like, well, do you want to... Um, do you want to go now or do you want one more minute? Um, something like that. So you give them a bit of choice and you might say, it seems like you really don't want to go. Am I right? And check in with them um, about whether you've got it correct or not. Uh, the next step I've got is to think about the problem solving later. And I understand that, you know, and myself as a parent, we think a lot of the time that how we respond in these situations is going to be what teaches our child what to do next time. But the reality is when children are really heightened, they lose that ability to problem solve and think rationally. So this is not the best time to um, start talking about the problem and trying to think about what you're going to do next time and solve it because that thinking and problem solving capacity just isn't there. The other reason it's not a good time is that it can re-escalate things as well. Um, and so if you come in too early with suggestions about, you know, maybe this happened, maybe we could do that differently next time, it can re-escalate um, your child as well. And so sometimes if kids have had a really big meltdown and they're really upset, it might not be until uh, the next day that they're ready to talk to you about it. Sometimes kids take a very long time to come back down to their calm, rational level. So if one of the main, one of your main goals, which is probably the same as many other parents, is to stop the situation from escalating. That's another really important um, reason that you don't want to do that problem solving right in the moment. That kind of brings us to the thought of, well, when, when do you do that? <laughs> it seems really counterintuitive um, to talk about that the best time to address a problem is when the problem is not happening. Um, but that's quite true with kids. So the things that you can do at other times to teach them skills to be able to manage emotions um, and do problem solving, that stuff is what's going to then prevent the challenges that you have next time. In the last episode, I talked a little bit about um, the overall idea about discipline and how it's kind of more about what you do before the behavior as well as after. 
And today we're just talking about what we do when the behavior does happen. So it's really important to remember this sits in the context of everything else you're doing to help your child. If you've got lots of things in place to teach kids how to, um, you know, how to do things the way you'd like them to be done. And I'm saying this with a bit of a hesitation because it's not all about controlling our kids and teaching them how to behave. I guess it's the thing that if you're um, teaching them how to meet the expectations that you have, that's all got to happen at another time. And if you're doing that for teaching them how to meet the expectations, how to regulate their emotions and problem solve, that is what's going to prevent behavior happening um, in the future. So it means it takes all the power out of what you do and how you respond in the moment to your kids because you're spending a lot of time and effort in teaching them things and how to behave and meet expectations at other times. Uh, I have talked a little bit before about um, teaching kids skills for managing emotions. Uh, and one of the big things you can do as parents is to, first of all, model what you want your kids to be doing uh, and teach them what you're doing and see if they can follow what you're doing um, when they're calm. So that might be, for example, as simple as thinking about breathing slowly uh, and that slow breathing reduces our heart rate, which calms us quite quickly. So that's why psychologists always talk about breathing. You can breathe in for a count of four and out for a count of six, and it doesn't have to be more complex than that. Uh, if you're modeling to your kids, then you can make it easier for them to understand by saying it out loud. So an example might be, I'm feeling frustrated. I'm going to take a break to do slow breathing and calm down and then just close your eyes or move away or, or, and do the breathing. That means that your kids get to see how it's done and they get to see that um, you've modeled it. They want to be mo more like us than anybody else. So the power of modeling to your kids what to do is really important. Uh, some other things that you can do to teach self-regulation and, and problem solving are along the lines of how we think about a problem. And sometimes it's about accepting that in the moment it's not very good or pleasant or it doesn't feel good, but that things will be better or positive later. Uh, and so an example for that might be when, like I mentioned before, your child leaving the park they don't want to leave, they're having a meltdown. And you might be able to model some things like, um, oh, sorry, some thoughts by saying, yes, it is really sad. I love the park too, but we can come back tomorrow or we can come another day. So you're letting kids know and acknowledging the situation and also giving them a helpful way to think about it. Sometimes it's about, um, saying no in a loving way as well. So if kids are having meltdowns because they want something they can't have, um, whatever that is, maybe the, the phrase might be, I know it's really difficult and you're really sad about it, but it's just not something that's good for you right now. Maybe you can have it later or another day. So again, you're acknowledging the feeling, but giving them some words to be able to use to problem solve it. Um, I 
have talked a lot about this as kind of kids in general and mentioned that I will talk at the end about when kids are autistic or ADHDers, how they can, um, how you can adapt your parenting to suit um, their molding um, because sometimes the traditional strategies don't work or they just aren't enough. Having said that though, these strategies are going to be helpful for all children as well. So if you hear something in the next bit that you think really fits with your child, there's no reason you can't use this strategy as well. So I've combined these together because often the thing is often autistic kids have ADHD and ADHDers might be autistic as well. So it's not so helpful to to separate out strategies for a particular, um, you know, diagnosis or pattern of behaviors. Um, I think it's more helpful to think about that these are ways that you can adapt the traditional parenting um, strategies that might better suit these kids as well as anxious kids and in fact all kids as well. Um, So I'm just going to talk about three or four separate strategies. The first one is um, recognizing the triggers. So this is going to be something that's um, really important for kids who are having lots and lots of meltdowns. Um, Recognizing things that are likely to contribute to having them means that you can either avoid those situations sometimes um, or you are a little bit more prepared going into the situations of what might happen. And so sometimes um, for kids, it might be sensory sensitivities or overwhelm, could be social overwhelm, uh, could be uh, not following routine or changes to routine. And it could be frustration as well. Um, Kids, especially with ADHD, have uh, a quicker to have um, emotional reactions and find them harder to um, self-regulate. So that could be something as well. By keeping an eye out for um, what the triggers might, well, first of all, I should tell you how how you do that. How you keep an eye out for what the triggers are is to try to notice some things like patterns. So if there's a particular time of day, your child's more likely to have a meltdown or a particular day of the week. So for prep kids, that's probably going to be a Friday. Um, sometimes it's, it goes with term as well. So the last week or two of term is much more difficult. Um, it could also be certain situations or being around certain sensory input um, or people. So recognizing some of the patterns is what will help you understand what are some of the triggers for your child's meltdowns. This lets you then either decide, you know, sometimes you might decide everyone's baseline level of stress is a bit higher lately. So we're just going to avoid those situations if we can. And that will limit the number of meltdowns you have. Sometimes you might not want to do that. And maybe even it's a a thing that your child really wants to do, but you're aware of lots of um, triggers being around for that event. So you might just do some extra careful planning and thinking about ways you can minimize um, the impact of those triggers and also think about some um, things that you might be able to do to bring the severity or the um, 
extremeness, that's not a word I know, but of, of the situation back down. The second thing you can do is be aware of um, using visual information and how helpful that is for kids. I've talked and will probably always talk about how it's important for kids with um, ADHD and autistic kids to have lots of visual information to help them with communication, making sense of the world, memory, lots of things. And you can have that stuff available in your home um, and for all their routines. But the thing is that you can also have some that you can use for emotional times to help you with that um, process I talked about before of validating feelings, taking a break and that kind of thing. And so what I mean is that you might decide or print out some pictures uh, to have on a little bookmark size piece of um, laminated paper or a little keyring sized thing so that you can have some pictures to show your child and share and communicate in a way that's supported by visual information. It might be pictures of different kind of feelings. It might be pictures about, um, you know, how you're just gonna wait for a bit, or you're gonna take a break. It could be a picture of the deep breathing as well, if that's a strategy that you're trying with your child. Um, and so the, having that to refer to in the moment is really helpful. The third thing I wanted to talk about is sensory support. And so this might be if you know your child has sensory sensitivities and becomes overwhelmed at stuff, you can have some things on hand to reduce that input and help you manage a meltdown. Uh, a really easy example to think about is headphones. And so if your child's really sensitive to noise, you can have headphones so that if they do become dysregulated or um, have a meltdown, then you can use the headphones to reduce that sensory input. Some other strategies are things like weighted blankets can help to calm kids once they're upset or firm hugs sometimes. It really depends on what your child's needs are um, and you will be the best person to know that in conjunction with other people who might be able to help you with more information. But knowing and having those things available in case of meltdown can be really helpful. The fourth and final thing I think is to be aware that sometimes kids, particularly who are de developing um, differently, need more time and more space than other kids might. And that means that in these times of emotional um, meltdowns, it might take um, these kids longer to calm down. The same is true for kids with anxiety as well. Some of those children have a temperament where it just takes them longer to calm down. So you might need to just take longer to sit with them and be with them. You might need to do that calming breathing yourself more than once <laughs> during this time, every couple of minutes or so. And the other thing is space. So we don't really want kids to be left alone to manage and handle their feelings because like I've talked about before, they need somebody with them to help regulate that stuff. But kids who are autistic or maybe even have ADHD, anxiety, might need a little bit of space 
um, so that you're still there regulating with them, but not really close to them. Or they might need to go and have time out on their own first. Um, it's definitely not time out in the way of punishment or anything like that. It's just being aware of what they need to regulate and be calm and being responsive to that. So in summary, then we're talking about when you're handling meltdowns to try to think about that it's not the time to problem solve or teach skills, but it's the time to de-escalate, calm everything down, keep everybody safe. You can do that by being calm yourself, by validating your child's feelings, giving them some time to calm down with you, um, then giving them some um, choices about how they'd like to move on from the situation and thinking about the problem solving later on. Um, you can adapt this for different types of kids and different types of development by recognizing triggers and trying to be a bit more thoughtful and proactive about different situations. Um, use visual information to help with self-regulation. Use sensory um, supports to help kids regulate. And keep in mind that they might need a little bit more time and space um, than the average kid might. I myself am a parent who needs a little bit more time and space than the average parent might. So there's definitely no judgment. If you're that type of parent too, um, just, just know that you are doing the right thing and try and block out all of those other people around you um, and what they might be thinking and remember that key mantra that um, you can't regulate a child to be more calm than you are. So it's really important that you stay calm yourself. I hope this has helped. I hope you have no use for that, this information this week, because you have no meltdowns in your family this week. Um, I know we all kind of think that that's the dream. It happens occasionally and I really wish it for you. Um, but if it doesn't happen, I hope these strategies are helpful. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parent Like a Psychologist. If you found it helpful, please share on Instagram so other parents can benefit too and tag me at Leanne Tran Psychology so that I can say a big thank you. Head over to leannetran.com.au to join the village for bite-sized psychology tips straight to your inbox. I really hope this podcast has brought a new perspective and you a step closer towards a calm parent and a thriving child. Have a delightful day.